You know, this coming week, millions of Americans all across our country are going to be getting together around dinner tables to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. It's going to be such a special time to be able to be with friends and family, especially when you think back that it was just one year ago that the holidays looked so different for so many. It was one year ago that so many weren't able to be with friends and family for the holidays, weren't able to have the normal traditions that we get to have because of the COVID pandemic. Of course, this year there are still many who won't get to be with loved ones, who won't get to do the things that they normally do. And we know that we continue to live in a difficult time. But as we are getting ready for Thanksgiving this coming week, and as I was thinking back to what Thanksgiving was like one year ago, I was thinking about how it was one year ago at this time that I found myself in quarantine after testing positive for COVID. Now, I was one of the fortunate ones. I never had any symptoms. I felt perfectly fine, but I did test positive for the virus and I went into quarantine. When I started to look at the calendar and, and measure out the days of how long I would have to be in quarantine, I quickly realized that it meant that I was gonna be missing Thanksgiving. And it wasn't just any Thanksgiving, this was my daughter Lucy's first Thanksgiving and my quarantine would be up on that Friday right after. You know, I gotta tell you, as I was leading up to Thanksgiving Day, I, I was really struggling to get into a spirit of giving thanks. I didn't feel all that thankful in the moment. I wanted to be with my daughter. I wanted to, to be able to share our great meal that we always have together as a family and get to do the things that we love doing. And in that week leading up to it, I was struggling to get into that Thanksgiving spirit, struggling to find the joy in it. You know, lately I've been... Uh, I've been reading some articles talking about how this year is the 400th anniversary of the very first Thanksgiving. You may remember Dr. Long talked about this a few weeks ago, how it was 400 years ago, it was actually back in 1620, that the pilgrims first landed there at Plymouth Rock. Now they actually landed further north than they intended to, and the trip across the Atlantic Ocean took them longer than they anticipated. And so they really didn't have much time, nor the resources or preparation to be prepared for the harsh winter that was in store for them. You know, as the winter came, it was harsh. They didn't have the shelters to be able to protect themselves. They didn't have the time to grow the crops and have the food to store up for the winter. You know, so many of the pilgrims died in that first winter of disease, of starvation, of cold. It was a difficult time for them. When the next spring came around, it was the local Native Americans that came and taught them how to plant crops how to harvest the land and how to hunt and to fish there in that area. So that when that, final, that next fall came around in 1621, on the day of harvest, they made a decision as a group to get together and have a day of giving thanks. Now, I imagine for those first pilgrims on that first Thanksgiving, after all of the hardships that they had been through coming across the Atlantic Ocean, going through that first winter when they had lost so many loved ones and life was so difficult, it would have been easy to be in a place where you didn't really want to give thanks. And yet they knew the importance of setting aside a day to recognize the blessings that they had and to express their gratitude to God. Well, I was reading these articles about this 400th anniversary and, and I came across an article that, that talked about this 400th anniversary from a little bit different perspective. It talked about it from the, the perspective of the Wampanoag tribe up there in New England. You see, it was the Wampanoag tribe who was living there in that part of New England when the pilgrims came. They were the ones who were there to, to welcome the pilgrims, to teach them how to plant the crops and to harvest the land. 
They were there to teach them how to hunt and fish in that area. They truly were the ones that helped them to survive. You know, back in the 1600s when this was going on, the Wampanoag tribe numbered almost 100,000 members of their tribe. They lived in that land all up in what is modern-day New England. That was their area. And this article was interviewing several of the, the members of the Wampanoag tribe today and talking about how they view this 400th anniversary. They said for them it's not really a day of celebration because over the last 400 years, their tribe has gone from nearly 100,000 members down to about 2,800. Now in the years that followed that first Thanksgiving, they would be pushed off their land. They would contract illnesses and different kinds of disease that would kill off their people. Life became very difficult in the years and the centuries that have followed that first Thanksgiving. Now they said as many millions of people are going to get together this week to, to celebrate 400 years of Thanksgiving, they said, we're getting together to grieve, to lament everything that that first Thanksgiving has meant to our people. Because they said for them, that really was the beginning of the end of their way of life and how they knew it. But I thought it was fascinating that they said, even though we're going to be getting together this week to grieve, to remember all that we have lost as a people, we're also going to take time that day to be together with our family and to remember all the blessings that we have to stop and to give God thanks. You know, one year ago when I found myself in quarantine struggling to get into a spirit of thankfulness, I stopped to remember that even in the midst of all that I was so blessed to still have a roof over my head and food on the table. I was blessed with the gift of technology that I could still see pictures and video and I could FaceTime with my daughter. I was blessed that the next day I was going to be out of quarantine and we would still be together as a family and get to enjoy our Thanksgiving meal with each other. Now, even though I didn't feel thankful in that moment, when I took the time to stop and really look at my life, I recognized that there, were, that there was still so much to be grateful for. Sometimes in life we find ourselves in circumstances where we don't always feel thankful. And not to say that these difficult times in life don't matter, or that the grief and the loss that we have felt doesn't hurt. It does matter, and it does hurt. But I think it's possible that we can still find a sense of gratitude, even when we don't feel like being thankful. I think that's exactly what the psalmist was speaking to in our scripture lesson this morning. It comes from Psalm 105. And if you go back and you read the entire psalm, all of chapter 105, what you find is that the psalmist is retelling the story of the people of God. He goes all the way back to Abraham and Isaac. He talks about Jacob and Joseph. And the author tells the whole story of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because the reality is that whenever you go back and you reread the story of the people of God, it's not a story where everything goes according to plan. It's not a story where everything happens exactly as they would have wanted it to. No, you go back and you read the story of the family of Abraham and you found that, that there were difficulties in the relationships within the family. They betrayed one another. They sold their brother Joseph into slavery. There was famine in the land. They would get to Egypt and there Joseph would rise to power eventually. But then after all the people came, they would eventually fall into slavery in Egypt. Life was not always easy for God's people. But the psalmist wanted to remind us that through the midst of it all, 
God is still present. God is still there and God is still faithful. And when we remember that God is still faithful, it can lead us to a place of giving thanks and experiencing gratitude for the blessings that we do have. It doesn't mean that life is always going to go according to plan. That's not the story of God's people. But it does mean that in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the hardships, in the midst of the difficulties of life, we can still live in a spirit of thanksgiving. You know, over these last couple of years, we have experienced so much. And you may find yourself in a place as we go into this holiday season, as we approach Thanksgiving and Advent, Christmas and New Year's, you may find yourself in a place where you have a lot to celebrate. You have a lot to be grateful for. and It may come easy for you. We have experienced the gift of new life in the last couple of years. We've experienced new friendships. We've made new memories with family and those close to us. There have been good times. But we also know that for so many, these last couple of years have been so difficult. We've experienced loss. We've experienced political challenges, economic turmoil. So many have faced layoffs from jobs. Life has been challenging for so many. And whether you find yourself in that place of celebration and good times, or whether you find yourself facing all of the difficulties and the challenges of life, I believe that our scripture lesson this morning, the Psalms remind us of a few key ideas that can help us to live in gratitude regardless of where we find ourselves. This morning there's three ideas that I want to share with us that that I think will help us to experience these holidays in a different way. First, I think it's important to remember that gratitude is a choice that we make. Gratitude is a choice rather than a feeling. Sometimes we think about feeling thankful. And it's fine to feel thankful, but the reality is that based on the circumstances of life, we may not always feel thankful. And yet we can still choose to experience gratitude. The psalmist starts this psalm here in Psalm 105 with a directive statement. Give thanks to the Lord. It's not a conditional statement. It doesn't say if life is treating you well and everything is good, then think about coming and worshiping and praising God. It's not conditional. It is a directive statement. Now the interesting thing about this psalm, Psalm 105, is we believe that it was actually written from exile. We believe that it was written during the period of the Babylonian exile. You remember it was back in 586, 587 BCE that the Babylonians came and and they conquered Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple and they carried the people off into captivity. And when they did, it brought about this theological crisis for the people. You see, for centuries, the Jewish people had believed that God lived there at the temple in Jerusalem. That was the dwelling place of God. And now all of a sudden, if the temple was gone, what did that mean for God? Did that mean that God wasn't powerful enough to save them from the Babylonians? Did that mean that God just didn't love them anymore? Did it mean that God was distant from them because now they were living in a foreign land, far away from Jerusalem? No, they found themselves in the midst of this theological crisis, trying to wrestle with the circumstances that they were in. And it was in the midst of that theological crisis that the author of the psalm came to the people and said, Give thanks to the Lord. And he began to go back and to tell the story, to remember how God had been there for them in the past. 
and to trust that God would continue to be with them into the future. Sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances in life that are beyond our control. And it doesn't always go the way that we hoped it would or thought it would. And yet we can still, even in those times, give thanks to the Lord. You may find yourself in circumstances where it's easy to celebrate. Or you may find yourself like those in exile, wondering where God is in the midst of what's going on in life. But through it all, we can give thanks to the Lord. We can choose gratitude. A couple weeks ago, Dr. Long mentioned the book, The Last Lecture by Randy Posh. He encouraged us to to go and pick up the book and to read it if you haven't read it before or to reread it if you have. So that's exactly what I did. It's one of my favorite books as well. And I went back to go and reread it. There's such great lessons and great stories in that book. You may remember the story of Randy Posh and, and how he was a professor there at Carnegie Mellon. He was teaching computers, software engineering, and and IT. He was the one who was raising up and training those who would go on to become Imagineers for Disney. The ones who were the best and the brightest, the most creative, developing all of these new products and ideas for Disney. Well, Randy Posh was the one teaching the students and sending them off to go and do this. Randy was a brilliant mind, an incredible man. But it was while he was still just a young man that he was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. He was given just a few months to live. He felt perfectly healthy. Everything seemed normal in life. And all of a sudden, had this bombshell dropped on him. Well, there was a a lecture series that was going on at that time called the Last Lecture Series. They had invited professors to, to think about, if you had one last lecture to give, what would you want to say? What final words of wisdom would you want to impart upon your students? What would be that last message that you would want to give? Well, they invited Randy to come and be a part of this last lecture series. And for him, it truly would be his last lecture. He said as he was preparing for that day, it it was just kind of fascinating because he said, I still felt perfectly normal. He had been going through his chemotherapy treatments. It had been hard on his body. And yet, by all outward appearances, he looked just like any other normal person. You would have never known that he was sick and that he was dying. He showed up to the lecture hall that day and he said, I was surprised to find that it was a packed house. More than 400 students and people had come to hear him. He said, I'm not sure the students came so much to hear what I had to say as they just wanted to see what a dying person looked like. He got out on the stage that day and he said, you know, I just want to address the elephant in the room. He said, my dad always taught me, if there's an elephant in the room, then you should introduce it. He said, the reality is I am dying, that I have stage four cancer, and the doctors have given me just a couple months left to live. He put a slide up on the screen for everybody to see, and it was a picture of the scan that showed the 10 tumors that were in his liver, with arrows pointing at each of the the tumors. He left it up there to linger for just a moment so that everybody had a chance to see it, to count the 10 tumors and to let the reality sink in of what was happening. And then he finally said, all right, that's it. It is what it is. We can't control that. All we can control is how we choose to respond. We don't get to decide what cards we are dealt in life, just how we will play the hand. really is the truth of life. We don't always get to choose what cards we are dealt in life. 
but we do get to choose how we respond. When life doesn't go the way that we want it to go, do we respond with bitterness and anger and resentment? Or can we choose to still focus on our blessings? You know, I think so often you and I operate out of this illusion of control. We like to think that we have more control over the world than we really do. The reality is we don't get to control everything that happens in politics. We don't get to control everything that happens in the economy. We don't get to control the death of loved ones and loss of those in our lives. We don't have control over everything else that happens around us. And these things do affect us. They have an impact on us. But what we do have control over is how we choose to respond. Even when life doesn't seem fair, even when things don't go the way that we hoped they would, we can still choose to live in gratitude. So second, I think one of the things that takes away our gratitude the fastest is comparison. When we start to compare ourselves to one another, we begin to look at others and, and we see what they have that we want. I think what we find is that there will always be those in this world that have more or at least what we perceive as more. There will always be those that have what we perceive as better. And what can happen is when we start to compare ourselves to one another, we begin to operate out of a mindset of scarcity. A mindset of scarcity says that if I look at somebody else and I see the blessings that they have, well, there are only so many blessings to go around. And for every blessing they have, that's one less for me to have. A mindset of scarcity leads us to begin to look inward to become self-centered and selfish. We want to focus on collecting and gathering up all that we think the world owes to us, all that we want and desire. And rather than seeing the needs of others around us, rather than seeing all that we already have, we only begin to see all that we lack, all that everybody else has. You know, this is part of our human condition is to compare ourselves to one another. But I think the antidote to that is to live out of a mindset of abundance. Because the reality is that God's love and God's blessings are not limited. Just because God shows love to somebody else doesn't mean that there's now less love for me to experience. God's love is unlimited. There is enough to go around for all of us. When we begin to operate out of a mindset of abundance, it says there is enough for all. And I don't have to become jealous or envious just because somebody else has something great. I can celebrate for them while also recognizing the ways that I have been blessed. And that begins to lead me back into a spirit of gratitude. When I recognize the ways that I have been blessed and I operate out of a mindset of abundance, rather than becoming selfish and trying to take everything for me, I begin to operate out of a mindset of generosity to find the ways that I can share those blessings with others. Now, I think operating out of that mindset of abundance begins to change the way that we view the world. You know, this idea of a mindset of scarcity, this isn't new to us in our world today. Social media may have heightened our ability to compare ourselves to each other. You know, it's easy now to look on social media and see what others have, to see what vacations they're going on, what homes they're buying or cars they're buying. It's easy to compare ourselves now more than ever. And yet this idea of a mindset of scarcity is not new. You go all the way back to the story of the Exodus. And God, through Moses, had led the people out of slavery in Egypt, and they were wandering in the wilderness. 
But the people ran out of food. And so they came to Moses and they said, did you lead us out of Egypt just for us to die of hunger out here in the wilderness? Let us go back to Egypt because at least there we had something to eat. And it was God who would intervene and, and begin to provide for them manna and quail every single day. But God told them, just take enough that you need for today, just for this one day, and tomorrow I'll provide more for what you need that day. And so, of course, what did the people do? They went out on that first day and they gathered up everything that they could because they were afraid there wasn't going to be enough. They operated out of a mindset of scarcity that said there's only so much to go around and I need to make sure I have mine. They began to hoard it all in their tents and they woke up that next morning to find that all of it was spoiled. It had gone bad and they couldn't eat it. They walked out of their tents to find that once again, God had provided manna. God was continuing to be faithful to them. With God, it's not a mindset of scarcity. It's a mindset of abundance. That there is plenty to go around for all. And I don't have to compare myself to somebody else. That just steals my gratitude. Instead, I can recognize the blessings I've already received and give God thanks. It was just a week ago that Lucy and I had a chance to travel out to Memphis, Tennessee. And we went out there to go spend a little bit of time with my brother and my sister-in-law and my two nephews. They live out there in Memphis, and so we went to go and stay with them. And we had a great time just being together with family. But it was fun watching the three cousins interacting with each other. My oldest nephew, Eli, is just a little over three and a half years old. And my youngest nephew, Ethan, he's only two months old. This is my first chance to meet him, and we had just a great time. Lucy, of course, is just a little over a year and a half, and so she and Eli were able to play a little bit together. Now, there's enough of an age gap at this point that, that she can't do everything that Eli does, and so he would want to go and play and do different things, and she couldn't quite keep up with him. But there were other times that we were there at the house, and they would be playing with toys down on the floor, and, and they could play with each other and interact. One of the things that they loved to play with down there was playing with Hot Wheels cars. You know, it was fascinating just to sit back and kind of had this experiment in, in the human condition and human psychology watching these two toddlers play with Hot Wheels cars. They had a whole basket full of dozens of these Hot Wheels. And of course, although there were dozens of cars there, whichever car Lucy picked up, that was the one that Eli really wanted. <laughs> and they had all these stuffed animals that were around that they were playing with. And whichever stuffed animal Eli picked up, well, of course, that was the one that Lucy had to have. It was fascinating to sit back and just watch this happen. And it occurred to me that nobody had to teach them how to compare themselves to one another. Nobody had to teach them how to look at what the other person have and, and become jealous. It's part of who we are as humans. We do that naturally. No, it takes intentionality on our part to live in a mindset of abundance that says there's enough cars to go around for everybody to play with. There's enough stuffed animals for us to all feel blessed. There's enough of God's love to go around that we can recognize all the ways that we have experienced God's blessings and we can live in gratitude. And so third, I think it's always helpful to go back and remember the story of God's faithfulness in the past. Because it's remembering those stories of God's faithfulness in the past that gives us the strength to experience gratitude for today. When we remember that God has been faithful yesterday, we can trust that God will be faithful today. And God will continue to be faithful into the future. 
Now that doesn't dismiss the hurts and the pains that we go through in life. It doesn't mean that there aren't difficult times. Those times do matter. But it's to say that we know that God has been with us through difficult times before and God will continue to see us through now. And so we can live with gratitude. You know, I think so often what we find in the Psalms is they really do speak to the human emotions. You find these psalms of praise and thanksgiving, psalms of gratitude that are worshiping God, talking about all of the good things that have happened in the world. But you also find these psalms that that speak to the anger that we sometimes feel, the grief, the lament that we sometimes go through in life. You know, I think one of the most fascinating psalms to me is Psalm 22. We're probably more all familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And we hear that psalm read at so many different funerals and other occasions. But if you go back one chapter to Psalm 22, it's a fascinating psalm because it begins with the question, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now if that question sounds familiar, it might be more famous from the words of Jesus as he was hanging on the cross. Some of the last words that Jesus spoke there in the Gospels this moment where he shows this pure human anguish, questioning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, O God? When Jesus says that from the cross, he's quoting from Psalm 22, verse 1. But if you go back and you read all of Psalm 22, this psalm that starts with such anguish and anger and feeling left out, it ends with thanksgiving and praising God. And so you have to stop and ask, How did the psalmist get from anger and anguish, feeling left out, to giving thanks and praise? When you go back and you read, and the psalmist begins to tell the story of how God has been at work in his life in the past. He begins to retell of the times that God has shown him mercy. He begins to tell the stories of God's love for him and the saving act of God in his life. And as he begins to remember what God has done in the past, It gives him strength to find gratitude in the moment, to recognize that God will continue to be there with him, even in the midst of his anger, even when he feels forsaken by God and distant from God. He can still experience gratitude and choose to come and praise God. Just recently, I I got a phone call one evening. It was a number that showed up on my phone I didn't recognize. I, I answered the phone. And on the other end of the line was Bishop Bob Hayes. Some of you may remember Bishop Hayes. He was our bishop here for the Methodist Church in Oklahoma from 2004 to 2016. He was a wonderful man who cares so much about the people here in Oklahoma. has done so much to advance the cause of Christ, not only here in our state, but truly across the world. A man who just cared so much about people, a good man. Well, he called me and I answered and, and he called just to catch up. That's the kind of person that he is. He just wanted to visit and catch up on life. We started talking. I just enjoyed so much getting to hear from him and was so grateful for his phone call. After we got off the phone the next day, I went to my bookshelf and and I pulled off a book. It was a book full of devotionals that he had written over the years that was called Strength for the Journey. And I started to go back and I just read through these devotionals, finding words of wisdom and words of inspiration from Bishop Hayes and just enjoyed reading his words again. But as I was reading through this devotional, one of the devotionals caught my attention. Of course, I was preparing to preach for this Thanksgiving Sunday. And there was a devotional in there that he had written years ago for the Thanksgiving holiday. 
And so I went back to read what he had to say. He said, you know, we live in a world now where we don't have to remember all that much. It really is true. When you think about it, we don't have to remember phone numbers. We don't have to remember contact information or addresses. We don't have to remember meeting dates or times or important dates. It's all at our fingertips now on our phones. We can look up any kind of information that we want in an instant. And so we just don't have to remember much of anything anymore. But you know, I think as a society, when we don't have to remember things, we really lose out on something. I think it's helpful sometimes to go back and remember and retell stories. Whenever we go back and we remember and we retell the stories of what God has done, it does something to impact our soul. You know, in ancient biblical times, they didn't have the gift of technology. They didn't have cell phones to remind them of everything. They had to find other ways to remember and retell their stories. One of the things that they would do in ancient biblical times is that if something significant happened, if God did something special in somebody's life or in the life of the community, they would take stones and they would pile them together into this formation. They called these standing stones. They would pile these stones up and they would leave them along a roadway or a path so that whenever people would come by, they would ask about these stones. It was kind of like what we might think of as a historical landmarker today. If you drive down the highway and you see a historical landmark sign, you can pull off the highway and you can learn about what significant event has happened in that place. Well, that's kind of what these standing stones were in biblical times. People would stop and they'd ask, what do these stones mean? And it was a chance for the people to retell the story of God's faithfulness, of what God had done in the past. Because they found that whenever they retold the stories, it did something to give them strength for today. It filled them with gratitude because they knew that God had been faithful yesterday, that God was faithful today, and God will continue to be faithful tomorrow. When you go through those difficult times in life, it's helpful to go back and remember the stories. That the story of, people, of the people of God is not that things always go according to plan and the way that you would want them to go. The story of God's people is that there is heartache and there is loss. There's grief and there's exile. There's times of wandering in the wilderness. But through it all throughout the centuries, God has been faithful and God will continue to be faithful. And so we can give thanks. As we go into this holiday season, you may find yourself in a place celebrating all kinds of great things happening in life. But you might also find yourself in a place where you're struggling to get into that spirit of gratitude. I think whenever we choose to go back and remember the stories, when we choose to retell of the wonderful works of God, the mighty deeds of God, when we choose to remember, it helps us to remember the ways that we have already been blessed. And rather than comparing ourselves to one another and seeing all that we don't have, we can recognize what's already been given to us. And we can choose to live in gratitude. I think when we live this way over these next coming weeks, as we go through Thanksgiving and Advent and Christmas, as we enter into a new year, it's going to help us to live with a whole new mindset. It's going to help us to experience these holidays in a different way. That in spite of the hardships and the difficulties we might face, we can still remember and we can give God thanks. 
For we know that God is good, that God loves us. God's lo abundant love and mercy are for all of His children. We can remember that the Lord is good and His steadfast love endures forever. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite each of us to lift up our own silent prayers. Amen.